is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. This is Pastor Rob Chambers of Reedtown Community Church in Newport, Tennessee. It is our earnest hope and prayer that something will be said or done through word or song that will be a blessing to your heart. Good to be in God's house this morning, amen? No place that could possibly be better for us than to be in God's house this morning. That is absolutely true. I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Romans, please. Romans, will be taking part of the text from the first chapter of that book this morning. First chapter of the book of Romans. Matthew, I'll make it easy when you go to put the uh, uh, sermon online there. I'll give you a title to go with it. A lot of times I don't title mine. I know I'm supposed to, but I just don't. Matthew, you can title this one, Why We Need Revival. Why We Need Revival. There was a lady one day asked Billy Sunday, she said, Why in the world do you keep preaching revivals when none of them last? He looked right back at her and said, Deadpan, why do you keep taking baths? You may not have thought it was funny, but I hope you got it. I hope you got it. You take a bath, why? Because you get dirty and you stink. Amen? Be honest. Be truthful. You take a bath because you smell bad. You take a bath because you're dirty. Same reason for having a revival, child of God. Because you get dirty and you stink in the nostrils of God. I don't know if it's going to work this morning or not. I don't know if it's going to work this morning or not. We may make somebody mad this morning. We may offend somebody's sensibilities this morning. Somebody may leave here this morning upset with the pastor this morning, but that's all right. I promise you I will not come in between those pews. I may walk down the center. I may go down the outside aisles. I don't know where God will send me, but I will not come in there where you are. I will not step on your toes this morning. If there's something that offends you, it's going to be an offense from the Word of God and the Holy Ghost. All right? You can be mad at me if you want to, but you're going to hear the truth this morning. You're going to hear the Word of God. In Romans, the very first chapter, if you begin looking at the 18th verse, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. We see the word unrighteousness. What do we normally think of? We see unrighteousness and ungodliness. What do we think of? We think of the heathen, don't we? We think of a lost individual. We think of someone who doesn't know God and the free pardon of sin, doesn't know Jesus Christ. But there's a word in that verse that we so easily miss, church. Child of God, let's read that verse again and let's catch that little word. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. All. Not just a lost individual. Not just somebody who doesn't know the Lord. But all ungodliness In other words, verse 18 is telling us God's judgment will come against all sin. All sin. Why do we need a revival? 
We need a revival because we get sin in our lives sometimes. We get sin in our lives. It robs us of our joy. It drags us down. It separates us from God. He said, my spirit will not dwell in an unclean vessel. If you have sin in your life, you're unclean. The Holy Ghost of God won't dwell in you. And as we go and we read this chapter of Romans, we're going to see what happens when the Holy Ghost of God is not in someone. What is a revival? A revival is a renewing and a refreshing of the Spirit of God. In other words, I'll give you an example, it's the stoking of a fire. If you have a fire and you leave it unattended, it'll get weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker and eventually it will go completely out, right? You take a stick, you take something and you poke it, you chunk the coals up, it revives the fire, it grows hotter, it lasts longer. That's what a revival does for a child of God. It stokes the fire within our heart, the flame for God in our lives. Brother, we need to be stoked. We need to be poked, Sister Millie. We need to have our pure minds stirred. God have mercy on our souls. Everybody here knows what CPR is, don't you? You may not have formal training in it, but you know what it stands for, cardiopulmonary resuscitation. If you see somebody laying on the ground and you check their pulse and their heart is not beating, you do CPR. You start the chest compressions. Why? Why is that important? To keep the blood circulating in the body because the blood is the life. If the blood doesn't pump, the person is dead. Revival is spiritual CPR for a Christian. It is a resuscitation of the Spirit of God within you and I. Now we go on with verse 19 there in that same chapter of Romans. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it to them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Those two verses tell you and I, we are made in the image of God. God made us to resemble Him. We have emotions like He does. We have thoughts like He does. He is spirit. We have a soul. God made us in His image. It is not hard for man to understand God. Someone said it in Sunday school though. God gave us free will. We choose not to understand the things of God. Brother Buford said it himself. The Bible tells us, If any man lacketh wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Do you need to know more about God? Do you need to know more about the Word of God? Do you need to know more about salvation? Do you need to know more about sanctification? Whatever it is you need, whatever it is you want, ask of God and He will give it to you. The thing is, we don't want it. We don't want to know more. We like knowing the little bit that we know because we are afraid that if we know more, as the Bible says, more will be required of us. The more you know about God, the closer you get to God, the more God says you need to lay stuff down. You need to lay stuff. So we don't want to get too close to God because we like to kind of be somewhere in the middle. We like to have God and we like to have everything else. 
It don't work that way. It doesn't work that way. We must give up self. Plain and simple. If any man shall follow me, let him deny self, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. Deny self. We don't want to 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 make things hard. Preacher, why do you have to make things so difficult? Just let me love the Lord and live my life the way I want to. Because you can't do that. It's an oxymoron. You can't love the Lord and do what you want to do. It's not possible. When you do the things you want to do, you don't love the Lord. You can't love God and mammon. You can't serve two masters. Verse 20 there makes it clear that you and I, all human beings, we know in our heart of hearts that we are created by God. It is a choice to believe that you're descended from monkeys. That's a choice. It takes a whole lot more faith. We talked about this on Wednesday night. It takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a child of God. What's harder to believe? That there is a loving God who spoke everything into creation or that everything that you see, everything about your body, everything that you see in nature, everything that is, is just an accident. Think about all the things that had to happen according to the scientists for things to be the way that they are. Do you realize that if the moon moves either direction, either further or closer to the earth, just a very small, minuscule amount, this planet would be destroyed? It's not an accident. We're here. We're created for a purpose. And mankind in his heart of hearts, he knows that. But in his arrogance and in his pride, he has to come up with a different solution so he can do what he wants to do. Because if it all boils down to God, then what's that mean? That means we're wrong and we're supposed to serve Him. We don't want that. Human beings don't want that. We want to do what we want to do. And nine times out of ten, that's exactly what we do. We do what we want to do. You want to go on vacation? You want to go bad enough? What do you do? You'll scrimp and you'll save every dime you can. You'll go without a Coke. You'll go without French fries when you go out to eat. You'll go without this, you'll go without that, and you'll hide it, you'll hoard it, you'll stick it back in the spot. So when vacation times come, you've got some money. Oh, you'll fuss and you'll whine and you'll cry and you'll bellyache and gripe about how the price of everything's going up, about how gas is high. But brother, you'll cut corners somewhere. If the desire is bad enough in you to do something, you'll do it. It's the same thing with God. If you want to serve the Lord, you'll serve the Lord. Just depends on how bad your desire is within you. I know this isn't a rousing message to bring to somebody. I understand that. I know that it's not, I'm not going to hear a lot of hallelujahs or amen. I'm not going to, I know that. But I know it's something we need to hear. I know it's something that needs to be heard from every church pulpit in the country today. 
I know that every child of God living on the planet today needs to hear this because we're in danger of losing something that is precious to us, church. We've got to go on to the 21st verse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not. See, here's the problem right here. When they knew God, they glorified Him not. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Who is the writer talking about? He's talking about the church. Who was the letter written to? It was written to the church in Rome. Go back to verse 7. It explains that plainly. It says, to the saints that are in Rome. These are Christians he's talking to. And it applies to them just the same as it applies to you and I today. When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. They got the same problem in Rome, Tim, we got today. They didn't want to worship the Lord. They didn't want to worship the Lord. They didn't want to give Him honor and glory. I don't know if they were exactly like us and were too dignified. Too civilized. We live in the 21st century. We can't act like a bunch of wild Indians running around lifting hands and praising God. We can't do that. That's just, that's just not the way we do things in this century. My God has never changed. From the moment that He spoke creation into existence, my God has never changed. And every command that He gives, He tells His children to honor and to glorify and to praise and to uplift His name. He hasn't changed. If He chooses not to send His Son Jesus back to take the church out for another thousand years, He still won't change. He's still going to expect us to worship and to glorify Him. What happens when you worship and glorify God? He takes preeminence over you. You can't worship somebody and not think they're greater than you. See, we don't like to worship because we don't want to think God's bigger than us. We don't like that. We like thinking we're the big thing. We're the big man. We're the most important. When you honor and worship God for what He is, your spirit inside, your heart, your mind, your every, all of what you are acknowledges that God is sovereign. Yes, sir. Amen. And that puts us in the proper frame of mind of where one of God's children, one of God's servants should be. Because God is sovereign. He deserves our worship. He deserves our praise. He deserves glory and honor forever and forever and forever, the Bible says. But see, the church in Rome, they weren't doing that. Church today don't either. Church today doesn't either. We like to claim, oh yeah, we're Christians, we're Christians, yeah, we're Christians. We sing songs. Yeah, we sing songs. We sing, oh, how I love Jesus. We sing amazing grace. There ain't no tears falling from my eyes. There ain't no chins quivering. I don't see people get so so emotional that they have to quit singing because they can't utter the words 
because what they are singing is so real and alive and burning in their heart that the body can't keep up with the Spirit. We sing it, but we have no idea what we sing about. None. No idea whatsoever. We sing it. Oh, we sing a beautiful melody. Make a beautiful noise. Have no idea what the lyrics say. Absolutely no meaning. No bearing on our heart or on our mind. It's just rote memorization. It's like me at my job. There are things in my job I can sit down and if I start splicing a cable, I can sit there and talk and not even look down and just do it. I've done it so it's just... It's been repeated so many times, my body will do it automatically. I do it in my sleep sometimes. We get the same way with God. We go to sleep on Him and we just walk through the service. Got to go to church. Got to sit down. Got to sing a couple songs. Got to listen to the preacher holler and spit and go on for 45 minutes to an hour. Then we can dismiss, then we can go home. I've had church for the week, I'm good to go. Wrong, 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 wrong. You ain't good to go. That's the problem. If Jesus was to call now, you wouldn't go. That's what I'm trying to get us to understand, church. That's why we need revival. I've got to hurry, I've got to move on. I'll lose some of you here in a few minutes. Professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools. The previous verse said their imaginations became vain. God gave mankind an imagination. Oh, it's one of the sweetest, dearest things God gave mankind. But like everything else God gives us, we use it wrong. We use it wrong. We don't use it for Him. We don't use it on the we don't think on the good things. We don't think on the pleasant things. We don't think on the holy things. We think on the bad things. We let it wonder on the evil things. Don't sit there and look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about either. It happens to us. It happens to us. Is it a sin when the imagination begins to raise up? No, not if you cut it off right then. You're a human being. You've got a human mind. The Word of God says the mind of man is evil continually. The evil in the human mind will try to come out, but when it rears its ugly head, you have to smite it with the Word of God. You have to put the flesh into subjection, and the mind is part of the flesh. It's when you let your imagination ramble on and on and on and on. When you let whatever it brings up have its full course, then sin comes. You can agree with me or you cannot agree with me. It's your choice. I'm giving you the Word of God what the Word of God says. Professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools. Have you ever seen a bigger bunch of fools in your life than some of the ones we have in the world today? Preacher, the Bible says, He who calls his brother a fool is in danger of hellfire. That is true. They ain't my brother. They ain't my brother. They're not brothers in Christ. I'm not related by blood. I'm in no danger. I can call a fool a fool when I see one. From the Word of God. You can too, if you're a child of God. I'm not judging, you won't be judging. We are empowered by the Word of God. Any man that stands and says, there is no God, there is no Jesus Christ, there is no salvation, the Bible says they're a fool. 
verbatim, word for word, the Bible says it. It also says that anyone that denies that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is anti-Christ. You better be careful. I'm not going to get into politics. We, we kind of broached the subject a little bit there in Sunday school. You've got a lot of politicians today. They're anti-Christ. You better do your homework. You better look into some things. You cannot as a child of God support anti-Christ. That is a sin. Preacher, that's a whole different story. No, it, it evolves down. It boils down to the one true meaning of everything in your life, your relationship to God. You're just too serious, preacher. You just put too much emphasis on this Jesus thing. I can't put enough emphasis on this Jesus thing. Verse 23, it said, To change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Preacher, don't you be reading that. I got my children here. I don't want to hear those things. You're going to hear the Word of God. You're going to hear the Word of God. I will be careful. I will be considerate. I know we're in mixed company. But we need to preach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's why we're in the state that we're in. That's why we have more and more states all around this country that are allowing these things to come to pass. Well, it's the government that's doing it. It's not the people. The people are trying to vote against it. No, no, no. If the people would vote against it, see, you've got a politician that says, I'll make sure you get plenty of money on this check or that check, or your retirement, you just let me do what I want to do. Blood money. Blood money! Blood money! Don't vote your pocketbook. Vote the Bible. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Some little bird, some little snail, some little animal is more important than human beings. We've got to take better care of them than we do the starving and the maimed. We got soldiers coming back. Coming back from war, maimed. Because our medical ability, because the medical talents of the doctors today is so good, there are men coming back without eyes or limbs. Saw one man, he lost all four limbs. Gave all four limbs to service for his country. But now we'll treat a little bitty tiny fish in the river somewhere better than we'll treat that man. We'll be more considerate of the needs of an animal before we do the needs of our veterans that have fought and bled and died for our country. There's a problem with that. There's a problem with that. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. That's plain and simple right there. You, you, it can't be explained any better. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was met. Oh, did you catch the end of that verse? 
receiving the recompense for their error. The animals in the field have better sense. They know the natural use. Man does too, but he chooses to ignore it. It's choice. 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 Mom and daddy's calm down. I'm moving on. I'm moving on. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. There it is. They don't want to retain God in their They don't want God. Because if you have God, you have to put off self. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. He gave them over to a reprobate mind to do the things that are not right. A reprobate mind. The Bible talks about conscience being seared with a hot iron. That's a reprobate mind. To get to a state that you cannot tell right from wrong. The conscience of a man completely burned out. You don't have to go far in this community to find an individual. You don't have to go far. I love you. I love you. There's been some conscience searing in this building. I love you. I'm not, I'm not going to point fingers. I'm not going to name names. No, I would never do that. But I'm not an idiot either. I've got eyes. I've got ears. I got the Holy Ghost of God. You can't hide things from God. You can't hide things from God. Preacher, what are you talking about? I don't have time to go into it, but read the account of Ananias and Sapphira when they came to Peter. Peter knew. How did Peter know the Holy Ghost of God? I love you this morning. That's why I'm telling you these things. God loves you. That's why he gave me this sermon this morning. We got to listen to it, folks. We got to take it to heart. We've got to take it to heed. We got through the 28th verse. The 29th verse. The 29th verse. He began to list some things. In verse 29, the first few things that he lists are morality issues. It's morality. Unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. Those are issues of morality that society today would argue that's in the mind of each individual to decide. No, it's not. It's either right or it's wrong. We don't pick which one it is. God does. Unrighteousness, unholiness, separation from God, denying the existence of the Creator, covetousness, greed, wickedness, evil, just plain out and out evil. You've seen it in the world today. Maliciousness, spite. Do something just out of spite. Just because it's mean. Just do it. Hatred. Those are morality issues. And if we let, and if we make the wrong choices in those morality issues, there are things that happen inside of us. When we make wrong morality choices, that's the next part of the list. When we choose wrong morality choices, we become full of envy. We want what everybody else has got. 
we become full of murder. Hatred. Hatred one for another. We may not pick up a knife or a gun, but buddy, we'll pick up a phone. <laughs> we'll pick up a phone. We'll text. We'll wag the thing in our mouth. That's vile poison according to the Word of God. I may not kill you physically, but I'll slander you with my tongue. See? When you get the wrong thoughts in your head, when you have the wrong morality, these things develop within a human being. Debate. Always wanting to argue. No matter what it... Have you ever known people just want to argue? Didn't matter you said the sky was blue, they'd argue with you. Well, no, it's not blue. It's actually aquamarine. Whatever, whatever it was, they'll argue with it. They'd argue with a stump. Deceit. Oh, I know people like that, don't you? Deceitful. Just dishonest. Would rather lie to you than tell you the truth. Malignity. Oh, here we go. Rot. Decay. Sin. All sin is decay. All sin is rot. All sin brings forth death, the Bible says. See, these things will form in your mind when your morality is not where it should be according to God. These things get inside you. And then the last part of the list, it starts talking about the things that we do. Now remember, who was the writer of Romans talking to? Not the lost people. He's talking to the church. Whisperers. Whisperers. Backbiters. Put them in the same bucket. Put them in the same bucket. The only difference in them, one's, one's a bigger coward than the other one. The bigger coward will just whisper. The backbiter will turn, let you turn around and stab you in the back. Preacher, we don't do that. I've heard it. I've heard it from this congregation. Why didn't you say something before now, preacher? Oh, I did. I gave you to the Lord. You're not mine to deal with. You're his to deal with. And brother, when he yanks a knot in you, you'll remember it. If I was to say something, you'd deny it. They'd be an argument. They'd be hard feelings. I can get on my face before God and I can say, Lord, you deal with it. He'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. Whisperers. Backbiters. Those that'll look, at, look you in the eye and smile and tell you that they love you. But when you turn around and walk off, buddy, it's a six-inch blade they put between your ribs. I've known them. Have you known them? I have. I have. Haters of God. Haters of God. These are supposed to be Christians we're talking about, but they become haters of God. How does that happen? They become haters of the things of God. They like the idea of God. They like the concept of God. They like the idea of salvation. They just don't like the things that have to take place for it to transpire. And if you hate the things of God or the people of God, you're a hater of God. If you hate God's things, if you hate God's laws, if you hate God's word, you hate God's people, you're a hater of God. Proud. Despiteful. Despiteful. Don't matter what, don't what. They ain't never happy. Despiteful. Just ain't never happy. Don't matter if you do something just exactly the way they wanted it, when they wanted it, they still ain't happy with it. 
Didn't turn out how they wanted it. Then you've got proud. God hates a proud look. That's one of the things the Bible says God hates is a proud look. God hates a proud individual. We're supposed to be humble. We're better than they are. We don't need them in our church. We'd be better off if they went somewhere else. I tell you right now, if you've got that attitude in you, we'd be better off if you went somebody else. God is no respecter of persons. Neither is his children. If you're a child of God, the outward appearance of an individual has no bearing on how you regard them. And if it has a bearing on how you treat them, well, we'll get to that in a second. We'll get to that just directly here. Boasters, braggart, always bragging. What they got, what this, this, that, ah, blah, blah. Is there anything that you can stand and tolerate less than a braggart? I can't. It just crawls all over me. For one thing, brother, I really don't care. <laughs> I don't care. If God has blessed you and allowed to have something, glory, hallelujah, praise God. I'm glad for you. But I really don't care. Inventors of evil things. There goes that imagination again. When I was little, I would find ways to get into trouble. I would. You could lock me in a room with nothing at all in the room. I'd still find some way to break something or cause a problem. I found a way to entertain myself. As we get older, it gets more dangerous. We have to entertain ourselves some way, somehow. Be sure you entertain yourselves with the things of God, with the thoughts of God. Disobedient to parents. Young people... Young people, I love you. But when mom and daddy say something, that's the end of the discussion. Period. Don't bring it up again. Mamas, when daddy says something, that's the end of the discussion. Don't bring it up again. Daddies, when mama says no, don't go around her. Back her up. Supporter, upholder. The family is the core unit of the church. If you look at a human spinal column, the nerves that go up the middle, we could call that Jesus. The vertebra around it is the family, and the bones that branch off are the people. He said that in the Bible. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Family can't function if you have disobedient children. No way. No way. But let's don't blame the children. Mom and daddy, why do you have disobedient children? How have you raised them? How have you raised them? A child knows what it's been taught. I gotta hurry. We can't stay there. I've got to move on. Without understanding, verse 31 says. No compassion whatsoever. 
so-and-so's house burned down up here. We just wondered if your church might be able to help out with some, some way, somehow. We ain't got what, how, how can we help? We ain't got no... We, don't they have a church to go to? Don't they have family? Don't they have friends? Isn't there some program in the town that can help them? No understanding. No compassion. Amen. Got a member of the church something happens to. Well, that's, they brought that on themselves. Well, maybe it's true they did bring it on themselves. But your place is to go to them and help them. Your place is to go to them and love them, console them. And yes, sometimes it might even be explained why it happened to them, which isn't always nice and not always pleasant. But when someone loves someone, they'll tell them the truth. Covenant breakers. How many people do you trust? How many people do you trust? See, we're supposed to be able to trust everybody. And God help us, we should be able to trust our church family. But see, we live in a world, you better not trust a soul. There are very few people outside this congregation that I put faith in or trust in. Very few. I can probably count them on one hand. I've had some in the faith, brothers in Christ, ministers of the gospel that I put faith and trust in, and they let me down. They dropped me like a hot potato, left me to stand by myself. Got to be careful who you trust. Covenant breakers. I may have been at the tail end of the last generation that was brought up. If you tell somebody you're going to do something, you do it. Period. If it costs you physically or monetarily, you still do what you said you would do. Period. If you said, I'll be there Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, you were there Saturday morning at 9.45. Because you gave your word. And your word meant something. See, the world ain't like that now. It's not like that now. You cannot rely on somebody. You've got to have a contract. No, didn't used to. You used to be able to stick your hand out. A lot of people, you didn't stick your hand out. You just said it. They said it. And that was solid. Not now. Not now. Anybody traded cars, bought a new house, anything like that lately? It takes 20 to 30 minutes to sign papers. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. It's because nobody can take anybody else's word. Covenant breakers. Without natural affection. Going back to what we talked about earlier. For one thing, there's no love for a fellow man. No love one for another. It's not even in the house of God there's no love. But then you can go a little bit further like we talked about. Natural affection. Preacher? I wouldn't stoop to that preacher. I may have problems. I may not be what I'm supposed to be, but I would never stoop to that without the Holy Ghost of God in you. There is no limit to how far you will fall. No limit. 
No limit. No limit, no limit, no limit. Because without the Holy Ghost of God within you, you're open season. You're prey for the devil. And he'll drag you to the lowest pit he can find. Implacable. Cannot be sated. The desires cannot be quenched. You get one thing, but you've got to have something else. It's never enough. It's got to be more, 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 more. Cannot be placated. Unmerciful. There ain't nobody got any mercy for anybody today. It's not the golden rule that the Bible teaches. It's do unto others before they do it unto you. That's what the, the rule is of society today. Get yours first. Don't worry about anybody else. Get yours. Verse 32 says, Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do it. They know right from wrong. They've been taught. They've heard, especially in this area. The world and the area you and I live in, the, 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 the buckle of the Bible belt. They know. Even a person who's never been in the house of God knows right from wrong. But they don't care. They willingly, wantonly choose wrong. And have pleasure for a while. That's what the Word of God says. Why did I go through all this? And I know we're going long. I'm going to try to quickly tie everything up. Stay with me. Keep praying. Why? Why did we go through this in Romans? Because the Word of God tells us in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that call bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto those who get everything all mixed up. And don't follow the proper ordinances of God. Why, preacher? Why are you bringing that out? I'm telling you right now on the authority of God's Word, if you have one of those things that was talked about in the last part of Romans, just one, just one, God have mercy on you. It only takes one. You break one of the commandments, you've broken them all. If there is one of those in your life, if you can find yourself moving in that direction. If that was a description of you, just one of them. The Holy Ghost of God does not dwell with you. I'm not judging. I'm not judging you. I'm not judging you. I'm not judging you. You cannot have sin in your life and the Holy Ghost of God live within you. He won't do it. I know because when Christ hung on the cross and took my sins on Him, God turned His back on His own Son who had no sin, who was perfect. If he'll turn his back on his own son because he willingly accepted another person's sin, he ain't going to look at us who willfully chooses sin. If there is the slightest hint of one of those things in our life, oh God have mercy. God have mercy. We need a revival. We need revival. Matthew 12 and 43 tells us that when an unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and he findeth none. Then he saith, I will return unto my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. 
Then goeth he and taketh with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. Child of God, you've been saved gloriously, miraculously, wondrously through the blood of Jesus Christ. Your heart, your, the, the, the innermost part of you has been swept clean, purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Everything's been put in order. It's been garnished, made beautiful and nice. But see, if you don't invite Jesus in there to live and you don't allow him to live, you let sin come in, you let something else other than the Word of God influence you, then those evil spirits that were once in you return. They return seven times worse than the previous condition. I can take you right now. The individuals who profess to be a Christian. And again, I'm not judging you. I'm not judging you. I'm holding to the standard of the Word of God. Some of them, it ain't seven. Sometimes, some of them, it's 14. Some of them, it's more. Worse spirits than they had to start with. For whatever reason, the Holy Ghost of God, it may have resided for a while, but it departed because of sin and because of iniquity, and the evil spirits returned. Is that person unsaved? No, you can't be unsaved. Once you're saved, you're saved. But once you get iniquity back in you and sin back in your heart and life, you can't go to heaven. The Word is clear on that. That's why we've got to have revival. It's not because all of us have iniquity in us. It's because we don't want it in us. And to keep it out of us, we've got to be filled with the Holy Ghost of God. If I had a glass up here and I had it completely filled to the rim with, with water, I mean absolutely up to the top where if you put another drop in it, it overflow. Just by that explanation alone, that glass is full, isn't it? Ain't nothing else can go in there. It's full. That's the way we've got to be with the Holy Ghost of God. If we've got Jesus in us and we're full, the devil can't get in. How do we do that? One of the ways we do that is revival. We revive the spirit within us. We rekindle the fire that's within us. How do we do that? Real quickly, turn to Joel chapter 2. Real quickly. I know I'm saying I'm hurrying and I'm trying. Believe me, I'm trying. I'm trying, I'm trying to hurry. Joel chapter 2. Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart. This is revival, folks. This is revival. This is what revival is. This is the essence of revival. Turn to me with all your heart. All your heart. All. Every bit of it. Don't hold nothing back from God. When you come to the altar, turn it loose. Give everything you've got to Him. Pour your entire self out at His feet. Because until He gets all of you, He ain't going to use none of you. He's got to have it all. He don't take parts and pieces. He's of God of completeness. He's not a God of broken things. What he gets that's broken, he puts back together and makes whole. So he doesn't want a part of an individual. He has to have all of the heart. And with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. Oh, here we go. Here's a lot of this stuff that I like God and I like Jesus. I just don't like some of those things. 
Give him all your heart. Give him all your body. Fasting. Not something that's practiced a lot anymore. Not something that's talked about or taught a whole lot anymore. Is it of God? You better believe it. You better believe it's of God. Are you telling us we are to fast, preacher? I ain't telling you nothing about the Word of God says. What is the purpose of fasting? To put your body in subjection. To prove to your body you're not in control. To prove to your belly you're not in control. To prove to the appetites or the lusts of your flesh you can control them. I, I will say this. There's some of us we need to fast to get control of the lusts of our body. I love you this morning, but I'm telling you like it is. We need to do some fasting and let our body lay off some of the things that it desires. And I ain't generally talking about food, neither. I'm not trying to say anybody here is heavy or not. That ain't what I'm talking about the lusts of the body. I'm talking about carnal human desires we need to lay off and put aside. One of the ways to do that is by fasting. To prove to the physical that the spiritual has control. Weeping. We don't cry enough. We don't cry enough. There ain't enough tears. The Bible talks about the tears of the saints. The Bible talks about the tears of the saints and the effects that it has on God and how God regards them. But we don't shed them. We'll come pray. Oh, preacher, pray for so-and-so. Pray for this. Pray for that. We'll have an altar of prayer. Same box of tissue. He's been sitting under the altar for six months. When you get down to business with God, when you put your whole heart in it, when you've got the flesh in subjection, and you get hold of the horns of the altar, you'll shed tears. Preacher, not everybody's emotional. You don't cry all that much. I don't cry where you can see me a lot of times. That's just the way I am. That's the way I was raised. But I cry. I cry. Sometimes I cry all day long, Sister Millie. I cry out of frustration. I cry out of joy. I cry out of sadness. But I cry. You know what the prettiest sight in the house of God is? Not the beautiful furnishing. I'll say second. The second prettiest thing in the house of God. The prettiest thing in the house of God is the smiling faces of the saints. The second prettiest thing is to look across this and see teardrops on it. To see stains on it. How does this get stained? The only thing that ever is on it is the teardrops of God's saints. There's meaning in the stains and the teardrops on this altar. There's purpose behind it. See, the trouble is, and it's no commentary about the housekeepers, there's dust on the altar. Because there's no tears being shed on it. Revival involved tears. Mourning. Mourning what? 
mourning for the things you've done that have let God down. Sins of omission, sins of commission, known sins, unknown sins. Mourning that you're not closer to God than you are. Mourning for lost individuals. My family, your family, my friends, your friends. Every man, woman, boy, and girl in the world right now who if they died would go to hell. We need to mourn for those people. I love verse 13. Rend your heart and not your garments. <laughs> Tear your heart open before God. Don't put on an outward show. Don't make some big scene like the Pharisees would do. Open your heart to God. And allow the Holy Ghost of God to move inside you. Until you open up the windows of your soul to God, revival cannot come. God will not force Himself in. He will not make you be revived. But if you open yourself up to Him and invite Him, He will come in. And He will do a thing in your life. He will make a movement in your heart. You'll never be the same again. And I'm talking to a Christian. I'm talking to a child of God. I'm talking to someone who supposedly has gone to church for 25 or 30 years. We all need to be revived. Turn unto the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful. Mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. Not just for the lost individual. Mercy and grace is for God's people as well. We need revival, church. We need revival. Notice I'm not saying we need a revival. We could have a series of meetings and not accomplish a thing. I'm saying we need revival. We need revival. One of the ways to accomplish that is with a revival series. But we need revival. Before we can have revival, before we can have a series of revival meetings, we've got to come... We've got to come clean with God. We've got to get right with the Lord. We've got to lay some things aside. We need to examine ourselves. And all these things in Romans that we just read that was a problem with the Roman church, that is a problem with the church in the world today, and God forbid if there's some... Preacher, I don't... Those things were awful. I don't want to come to that altar. Somebody in there, they may not... I may just be a whisperer and they think I'm a backbiter. I may just be a whisperer preacher and they may think I'm some kind of uh, a pervert. I don't, I don't want to come to that altar. I don't want to come in front of people. If you're a whisperer, then you are guilty of sexual perversion according to the Word of God. You're guilty of all. Put this thought in your mind. I'd rather Sister Treva know something that I'd done wrong than to hide it in my heart and die and go to hell. Amen, brother. Amen. Better believe that. And if they're a true Christian, they ain't going to think a thing about it. They're not going to wonder, Lord, I wonder what they've done. What if they, they're not going to do that. Because if they're doing that, they need to be up there on the altar beside you. Because they're just as guilty. 
But if we have any of those things, any of those things, if we're even sliding in that direction, if we can recognize some of those thoughts, we've got to get revived. We've got to get right with God. So God can revive us. If we don't get clean of sin, God can't revive us. Preacher, I never heard anybody say you've got to get right with the Lord before you can have revival. Revival is to aliven us. Aliven, revival is to quicken us and build us up. You've got sin in your life, you can't be revived. You've got to, co- you've got to confess first. You've got to get right with God. You've got to do your first love. You've got to go back to the beginning and get clean. Then, when the Holy Spirit comes in, then He can revive the old flame. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet this morning. I'm going to ask everyone that's here, close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment. Who needs reviving this morning? Who needs to be revived to the things of God? I'm going to ask you right now. If you say in your heart of hearts, yeah, I need revived. I need revived. I need quickened. I need my pure mind stirred. I need to get back on the right path. I'm beginning to drift either to the right or to the left. I'm not in the very center of the track where the Word of God says I should be. God help me. God help me. God help me. I want to be revived. I'm going to ask you right now to come to this altar. Just step out of where you're at. Just touch someone. They don't even have to open their eyes and look. They'll just slide a step out of your way or just grab them by the hand and bring them with you. Have them come pray with you. But if you feel like you need to be revived, if you have a desire and a burning and a want in you to be more than what you are right now, to be closer to God, you need to be revived. You need to be revived. You need a quickening of the Holy Ghost inside of you, a fresh anointing of the Spirit, whatever term you want to put on it. You just know in your heart of hearts that something just ain't right, that it could be better. You come this morning. We hope that you've enjoyed our podcast presentation. If you would like more information about the church or any additional podcast, please join us on the web at www.reedtowncommunitychurchpodcast.blogspot.com. That's spelled R-E-I-D-T-O-W-N, communitychurchpodcast.blogspot.com. Thank you and God bless.